Let's get into the message today. We're still in this series as we talk about transforming our mind to become a more thankful person. Because it is not our nature to be thankful. Our human nature is to be selfish, to be all about ourselves. But God says, if you will let me help you, if you allow the Holy Spirit to get more control of your life, you can become a supernaturally thankful person. It'll become second nature to you as you grow and develop in your walk with God. Let's go to Romans. Let's go to chapter 12. Two very familiar verses. You've heard them many, many times. Many of you have probably committed them to memory. So let's read them. Paul is writing this. Paul is in jail. He's in a Roman jail, and he is writing this, um, these two verses, the entire book of Romans. He says, therefore, very important word, very important word, therefore, I urge you, brethren, so he's talking to fellow Christians, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable, which means well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual or rational or reasonable service of worship. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, this age, this modern culture. Don't be conformed to that, but rather be transformed. By the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. So that you may demonstrate what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable. Again, meaning well-pleasing and perfect. These two verses tell us that the Christian life that all of us here are trying to live is primarily an act of worship. And we talked about this last week. I'm not going to go into the detail of that again this week. But worship is more than what we just did with the worship band. Worship for a believer is a lifestyle. It's the life you live. And i got to tell you, man, I really enjoyed worship today, especially that last song. They were all good, but that last song was just rich, wasn't it? And awesome. And you could sense the anointing of God, the presence of God in our midst. And I love that. But guys, that's not, that is not the total of your worship life. You say, no, no, I put on music at home and worship him at home too. Beautiful, awesome. That's so important. But your worship life is how you live, how you talk, how you interact with people, how you react. Your worship life plays into your work life. It plays into your school life. It plays into your social life, your family life, in your home. Worship goes on all the time from a Christian. This is what God wants from you. Now, chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans, if you remember from last week, tell us what God has done for us. Chapters 1 through 11 of Romans tell us about the components of our salvation, what God has done to save us, what God has done to rescue us from sin, to ensure a home in heaven. He talks about all the goodness of God, the good things God has done. When he gets to verse 12, or when he gets to chapter 12, rather, he says, now here's how you're to respond. Therefore, 
He uses the word, therefore, since God has done all this, chapters 1 through 11, since God has done all that for you, therefore, here's how you're supposed to react to that. You're to respond with thanksgiving. You're to respond to chapters 1 through 11 with thanksgiving. Then he says that the highest level of thanksgiving is when you give God everything. When you give God your life. When you say, God... I'm going to stop giving you this little area and this little area and holding back this little area for myself, and I'm going to give you my whole life. I want you to have my life. I give myself to you. I lay myself on the altar for you to use me and do through me what you desire. Paul tells us that that is the highest level of thanksgiving. So it's not just coming to God and I do this, and I'm sure some of you do this. You have a little prayer journal, and I've got different sections in my prayer journal, and in one section, I've got what I'm thankful for. And I go to God in prayer, and I say, thank you, God, for this, and I don't want to get, forget to thank you for that, and I don't want to forget to have a heart of gratitude for this blessing and this blessing, and I have those things in my prayer journal, and that's an ever-growing list. It grows and grows and grows. I keep adding stuff to it. And, but that isn't just your thank, Thanksgiving life. That's part of it. That's an important part of it. I hope you're doing that. You know, the weakest ink is better than the strongest memory. So write down what you're thankful for. Write down your prayer requests. Write down when prayers are answered. And you can put those answered prayers under your thankful category. You know, God, I was asking you to do this. You did it. There it is. Thank you. And that's wonderful. But what God really wants, the deepest level of thanksgiving, is when you say, God, you can have me. I give you me. I give you my life. The victorious Christian life is not about what you get from God. Again, you've already received everything you need for your salvation. God's already put it out there. He doesn't have any more to give you. Everything God has for you, he's already made it available. You may have not apprehended it. You may have not embraced it. You may have not received it. But God isn't holding anything back from you. God's put it all out there on the table. So God says, it isn't about getting more from me. I've given everything. The Christian life is about you giving. It's about you giving to God, giving God again yourself, your body, your mind, your spirit, everything there is about you, surrendering that to the will of God. Second Peter 2 reminds us that under the New Testament economy, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that now we have become a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, only the priest could come in and offer sacrifices to God. But under the new covenant, we have been made priests. We have been made a priesthood, it tells us, uh, that we can come into his presence now and we can bring offerings, we can bring sacrifice. But it's not dead sacrifices as it was under the Old Testament, but now we bring to him what? Not dead, but what? Living sacrifices, and the living sacrifice is who? Me. He wants us. So you are that priest coming in. So let's unpack this a little bit today, this whole idea when Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. So in the first 11 chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul has been defining the mercies of God. Chapter 1 through 11 of Romans is a list 
a massive list of the, of the mercies of God. Now I want you to notice here, he's not talking about mercy singular, but he's talking about mercies plural. So what is the definition of the word mercies here in Romans 12? Mercies are things given. They're things given that were not even asked for sometimes, not even, and definitely not deserved. Mercies are things presented to us, granted to us, applied or imparted to us, credited to us, things we do not deserve. There are many mercies of God, and as big as this list is in Romans 1 through 11, it is not a complete list. It is not a comprehensive list. It is not a total list. It's kind of like Paul went, that's all I can think of. And he kind of was just exhausted and, and took 11 chapters of the book of Romans to tell you how good God is to you and what God's mercies are to you. So as his disciples, what is our responsibility about these mercies? We're to study them. We're to understand them as much as possible, understand the generous mercies of God. And the proper response as we learn about how good God has been to us, not just that he gave us a house and a car and the clothes we wear, and not just that we were born in America and that we have a job and an income. And you ought to be thankful for all those things, but it goes deeper than that. It is a thanksgiving that God saved me. That God gave his only son to rescue me from eternal damnation. To rescue me from an eternal hell. To rescue me from going out of this world without him lost into eternity. He rescued me. He provided everything I need to rescue me. So therefore my response to that generosity is that I give myself to him a living sacrifice make myself completely available to him for the purpose of accomplishing his will in this world. When you add up all the mercies of God listed in Romans 1 through 11, you come to the realization of the sum total of these mercies, and that is that God provided your salvation. Can I just ask you something? Do you ever just stop and think about that? And you know what? There are people here in this audience today, I believe, who still haven't decided that they're going to embrace that gift. In other words, they haven't been saved. They haven't received Christ. They're, they're getting it. They're processing it. They're here thinking about it. And if you are here and you're thinking about that, and maybe you've been offering excuses, you know, hypocrites in the church and you know, I always want to say, call Dan Rather, you know, hypocrites in the church. This is big news. Sometimes the hypocrite's me. How about you? You ever been a hypocrite? I have. We're not asking you to look at us. If you're here today and you're seeking answers about God and the Bible and who Jesus is, get this straight. I'm not saying look at me. I'm not saying I can do anything for you except love on you and, and encourage you and tell you that I mess up too. Here's what we're trying to do at the bridge. We're trying to point you to Jesus. 
not to the bridge, not to Pastor Farrell, not to any staff member, not to any great TV preacher or any great author that writes books about God. And I love all these guys and gals who are writing books about God that are truth. I love that. I, I absorb that and I call some of them my heroes. But my hero, capital H, is Jesus Christ because he is the only one who can save my soul. And when I think about in Romans 1.11, all he did for me, all I can do is fall on my face, a living sacrifice, and say, Lord, the only way I know how to thank you is to lay myself on the altar today and get up in the morning and lay myself on the altar tomorrow to become a true disciple of Jesus Christ, to become a true Christian. And we hear stats that such a percentage of the world is Christian you know, that might mean that they are a part of a denomination or a part of a religious group that Christ is king of that. Re they see Christ as king. They see Christ as Messiah. But I want to tell you when you become a Christian. When you become a Christian is when you personally get with Jesus and you admit, I'm lost. I need to say, you can join the bridge. We'll baptize you in the pond till the tadpoles know your social security number. And i got to tell you, I don't even know what that means. But getting baptized doesn't save you. Joining the bridge doesn't save you. Putting $10,000 in the offering, granted, Lord. Putting $10,000 in the offering doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. You getting with Jesus one-on-one, -on -one, admitting that you are lost and he is the only Savior and you need him to rule in your life and you welcome him and you lay yourself at his feet, a living sacrifice. That is when you're adopted into the family. Do you understand me? Because there's a lot of false preaching going on in the world today that we're all God's children and that we're all ultimately going to be reconciled to God and that we're all going to go to heaven one day. Listen to me, the Bible doesn't teach that. You have to make a decision that you're going to follow him, that you're going to love him, that you're going to serve him. You, you make a decision that you believe he died on the cross in your place. You believe he rose from the dead to give you life eternal and that you surrender your life to him. This is what God has called us to do. So in order to be a true disciple of Jesus, we have to come to the altar of mercy. We have to understand that we are spiritually bankrupt in our sin. We are destitute. We're hopeless without Christ. We need forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We want heaven instead of hell. So at that altar, we lay ourselves there and we give our all to him and we put our trust in Jesus Christ and we turn from our sin and we receive the gift of eternal life. The mercies of God incorporate everything that is a part of our salvation. The mercies of God incorporate everything that's literally been laid out in the first 11 chapters of Romans. All the provisions of God's wonderful mercy for man's sin. Salvation with all of its components laid out beautifully in the book of Romans chapters 1 through 11. Y'all got that? Amen? You say, yeah, Pastor, you've said it 25 times. Good. How many of y'all know repetitive teaching is important? We don't get it the first time, do we? I mean, I do, but I'm talking about y'all. <laughs> so let's go into Romans 11, and let's go through some of the things in this list. Y'all want to do that? Let me just give you some of the things. Let's separate this a little bit. Romans has an impressive list. 
First of all, and you're not going to be able to turn in your Bible fast enough, but I'll be glad to send you these notes. I'll, I'll send them to you because i got to click through because it's a long list, so i got to click through quickly. Let me tell you, the first gift that's given to you is divine. That means God, love. That's a gift to you because guess what? There's no reason he should love us. Come on. There's no reason he should love us. But he gives his love as a gift. Divine love is one of the mercies God is celebrating in these first 11 chapters numerous times. He mentions it first in chapter 1, verse 7, and then it moves all the way through all of the next 11 chapters. God's love is one of the mercies granted to an unworthy sinner. You say, whoa, I don't like that calling people a sinner. Let me tell you something. I was a sinner and I came to Jesus, and I received his love for me, not because I'd done anything. I didn't deserve it. I was, I was as guilty as the thieves hanging on the cross beside him. But I'll never forget that thief who said, I trust in your mercy. I trust in your love. I trust in what you're doing. You're dying on the cross for me. I trust in that. And he saved that man on the cross beside him right there that day. Because the love of God is a gift. It is not something you can earn. It is not something you can do things and God goes, okay, a couple more things like that, dude, and I'm going to love you. I may do that. A human may do that to you. But God just loves you. You say, you don't even know what I did last night. I'm telling you, I don't care what you did last night. God loves you. He loves you. You may have broken his heart last night, but he loves you. God loves you. The second thing is grace. Grace is freely given to provide salvation that the sinner cannot earn. Grace is that undeserved love, unmerited love, unmerited giving of gifts. Grace is really the basis of Romans chapters 1 through 11. It's mentioned in 1, 7 along with love, and it's a theme in chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, and throughout the book of Romans. And then not only the gift of divine love and the gift of grace, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who welcomes the Holy Spirit as a gift into your life? Come on. Holy Spirit, take over my life. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us the moment we surrender our life to Christ. And it's one of the precious mercies of God. And you can find the expansive instruction about the work of the Holy Spirit, especially in Romans chapter 8. So make sure you understand that the Holy Spirit is a gift. I've seen people beg for the Holy Spirit. You don't have to beg for a gift. You don't have to beg for a gift. You have to just receive the gift. Just reach out there and say, Holy Spirit, I receive your influence. I receive your domination. I want to be filled with you. I want to be baptized in you. I want your power. I want your guidance. Hey, come on now. I want your conviction. Amen, amen, for my sin. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I welcome you. Man, this could be a prayer list. The next thing he mentions is peace. If we've ever lived in a world that needs peace, it's this world we live in today. And he has promised us peace. It is one of the mercies of God. It's mentioned in Romans 1, 2, 5, 8. Paul talks about in here peace with God that is granted to us as a mercy from God. 
Peace with God is a mercy from God. Can I just say this to you? And I've been having an experience with a person who's in my life recently who breaks my heart because they're not at peace. You know why they're not at peace? Because they look at the uncontrollable world around us. The sin, the debauchery, the rottenness of man's heart, the evil of man. And they look at all that's going on in the world and they live in a constant state of worry. And they live in a constant state of depression. And they live in a constant state of no hope. And I've been witnessing to this person and talking to this person. And I'm going to tell you something. What this person needs, and I've told him this, is what I'm preaching on right now. Peace with God because when you have peace with God it doesn't matter what you don't have peace with as long as you have peace with God you can lay your head down on your pillow at night and you can know this world is on fire but God's got you right in the palm of his hand some of you are desperate for that some of you are brethren remember Paul said brethren I urge you brethren to understand that one of the things God has given you is peace. And I don't know why I feel like lingering right here just a little bit on this one. Maybe it's because of the person I've been working with recently. But if you don't have peace, can I tell you something's broken in your relationship with God and you need to get on your face and get it right. Because when you are right with God, there is peace with God in a world that is aflame with turmoil and tribulation and trouble. Who could use a little more peace? I could use more peace. He's promised it. The next thing he mentions is faith. Faith to believe. Isn't it something that God commands us to believe and then he gives us faith to believe? Isn't that amazing? God never commanded you to do anything that he didn't turn around and give you everything you need to get it done. He said, you've got to believe in me. Now here's some faith. Let me just give you some faith to believe in me. Faith to believe. Faith not only to believe, but to receive the control of the Holy Spirit, the person of Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. It is a mercy mentioned to us in Romans chapter 4. Let's talk about five more. Comfort. I've experienced this one. I've experienced the supernatural comfort of God. When you lose, and some of you have lost children, when you lose a child, you are desperate for the comforting power of the Holy Spirit. You are desperate for some supernatural intervention in your life to keep you from losing your mind to keep you from saying life isn't worth living and taking your own life. You need the intervention of a power that is not of this world to bring comfort and peace to you so that you can say, yes, this breaks my heart. This devastates me and my humanity. But in God, I have comfort. In God, I have peace. Somebody here today needs comfort. And in the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, and especially in chapter 1 and chapter 16, he is promised his comfort to you. All of these things that I list, all of these things that I lay before you today, they're going to touch some of you deeper than others because you're so desperate for that. And this is just a reminder today that these things have been promised to you as a child of God. All you have to do is reach out and embrace them. And then the next one you see it on the screen is hope in a hopeless world. I got to tell you, 
If I didn't have Jesus Christ in my life and all I ever did was look at the news, I would feel totally hopeless. I would feel hopeless, wouldn't you? But with Jesus, we have hope. We have the hope that, that in this life, that's not all there is. The Bible says if the only hope you have in this world, you're of all men most miserable. And I know people who, who even claim to be Christians, but their, their hope of what's going to happen in this world, they've got, and look, I think you ought to be ambitious. I think you ought to have goals in your life. I think you ought to have things you want to accomplish. But let me tell you something. Heaven will never come to you in this world. So your hope is in the next world. Your hope is in the world that is to come. Your hope is in the world where Jesus will rule and Jesus will reign. Remember, no matter how bad it gets around us, there is a world of blessing. There is a world of fulfillment that is coming. You know, if we're lucky, if we're blessed, we'll live 80, 90 years on this earth. I got to tell you, the 80 and 90 years in eternity is nothing. It's nothing. Live in this world anchored to Christ. Live in this world connected to Jesus. Live in this world all, we used to sing a song a long time ago, just came to my mind, wrapped up, tied up, tangled all up in Jesus. How many remember that song? That was crazy church. But anyway, we sang that, man, and I get that. My life interwoven with the life of Jesus. That's how I live now. But because I live that way now, there is a world coming to me that my mind cannot even comprehend the glorious world that is coming to me. That's my hope. Paul talked about the blessed hope that we have, and it's mentioned in Romans 5 and 8, and then patience. It's like the lady who came to the altar and said, God, give me patience, and I want it right now. Patience. Another word for patience, forbearance. It's a mercy of God found in chapters 9 through 11. I need some patience, don't you? As I wait in this world for the coming king, I need God to give me supernatural waiting ability. How many impatient people we got in here? Come on. I'm one of you. I'm so impatient. I want it yesterday. I'm impatient when I drive. I'm impatient when it's time to eat and people won't pray. <laughs> Come on. I'm being honest. And look, when you pray before a Thanksgiving meal, that is not a time to pray for Grandma's foot. We'll get that at another time. <laughs> Bless this food and let's get on these collard greens. Come on. I have no patience. I'm not a patient person. Millie reminds me of that all the time. But there is a supernatural patience that is available to you as we wait in this world. This world. As we wait in this messed up world, God will give you patience. And then kindness. He owes us no kindness. But he says, that is one of my mercies. I will be kind to you when you don't deserve it. Romans 2 and 4. And then, I love this next one. We get to share in his glory. I was studying this one the whole time. I even got up this morning really early. And was studying this one some more. And it's mentioned in Romans 2 and 5 and 8 and 9. And I was trying to find out, God, what does it mean for me to share in your glory? And the best answer I could come up with 
is that it means many things, but it means primarily that when he's vindicated at the end, when Jesus is vindicated, when God is vindicated in the end of time, and the whole world sees who he really is, and the whole world understands, because my Bible says one day every knee will bow and say, Jesus is Lord. Every knee past, every knee present, every knee that is yet to come. When the Lord comes, every knee will bow and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Not Allah, but Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow and say, Jesus is Lord. I thank God, first of all, that I've chosen to go ahead and bow now. Amen? Who's glad you already bowed? Because you're going to. See, some of you are sitting here today going, come on. Some of you are sitting here today and you're trying to decide whether you're going to bow or not. Listen to me. You're going to bow, bro. You're going to bow, sister. Everybody's going to bow. I'm telling you, bow now. Boy, that's a great, that's a vision statement for a church right there. The bridge. Bow now, brown cow. I don't know where that came from. But isn't that, isn't that amazing? We're all going to bow. It's like the days of Noah when, when everybody wanted to get on the boat. Noah had begged them to get on the boat. But they wouldn't get on the boat. And the minute the door shut and the rain fell, then everybody wanted to get on the boat. So everybody's going to bow. Everybody got, everybody's going to wish they'd gotten on the uh, ship of salvation. Everybody's going to wish they'd gotten on. But for some, it's going to be too late. Sharing his glory. You know, when Jesus is vindicated, and, and that vindication, I believe, is going to come at the second coming. Now, let me just give you a little timeline of the end times here. I know i got to preach quick. But the next big event on God's calendar, in my opinion, and let me tell you about my opinion, humble, but very accurate. The next event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. I believe that. That's what this church preaches. Now, if you don't believe that, you can come to the bridge and be my brother and sister. That's not one of the things that we can't be brothers and sisters. However, when we go in the rapture, I will say nanny, nanny, boo-boo to you. <laughs> and then there's going to be seven years of tribulation on this earth. We'll be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, a seven-year supper. And then we come back to the earth with him. See, the rapture is not the second coming. Then we come back to the earth with him, and he will come the way the Jews thought he was going to come when he came in Bethlehem. He will come that time, that way, to set up his rule and reign in this earth, and we will be with him. And he will fight the Antichrist and the false prophet in the valley of Megiddo, and he will win that battle, and he will set up his reign in Jerusalem, and the whole earth will be as it was in the Garden of Eden before sin ever came in, and you and I will rule and reign in that world. Woo! I think that's what it means when it says, hey, Pharaoh, with all your flaws, with all your failures, with all your sins, with all your mess up, because you believed, because you gave yourself as an offering on the altar, hey, man, you get to come in and share my glory. 
You get to come in and share my glory. Can I ask you something? Do we deserve to share in his glory? No, that's why it's called a mercy. That's why it's called one of the mercies of God. And then the next one is honor. Honor is a, and I think it ties in really with the share in his glory. We'll be honored with him. We don't deserve it. It's all his honor, but we get to share in it. Mentioned in chapter 2, verse 10, and repeated again in chapter 9. And then we share in his righteousness. That is a mercy of God. That theme starts in Romans 1, goes all the way through chapter 10. It appears again and again and again. Righteousness. The righteousness of God is credited and imputed to us. Let me just go ahead and give you some of these, and then I want to just talk about it. Forgiveness is a gift. It is a mercy of God mentioned in Romans 4. And then reconciliation and justification, which means that we are literally being declared clean. We're being declared clean. See, that's how you're saved. I want you to look at that list now. You see the second one there, righteousness, forgiveness, reconciliation, and justification. Those three kind of go together because when you come to an altar, whether that altar be in your car or in your home or, or up here at this altar of this church or wherever it is, and you decide that you're going to give yourself a living sacrifice, it is, that that, it is at that moment that because of your faith, because of your trust in him, that you are declared righteous. You are declared justified. You are reconciled. The word reconciled or reconciliation means a relationship that was broken is now one of harmony and fellowship. Justification means that God removes the guilt of sin and he removes the penalty for sin, which is hell. He removes the penalty while declaring you a sinner. He declares you no longer a sinner, righteous. Understand me, your goodness has nothing to do with your salvation. You have faith in Jesus and what he did for you, dying on the cross, rising from the dead. You surrender yourself to him, and at that moment, you are declared pure. You are declared clean. You are declared righteous. As a matter of fact, he covers you with his own righteousness at that moment because it is only the righteousness of Jesus that will get you into heaven. And none of us can be that righteous on our own. So how are we going to get that righteous? He's got to give it to us. It's got to be a gift. Study the word propitiation in the Bible. Learn what that means. And then security. We're secure in him. Security is a, a mercy of God. It is mentioned in Romans 5 and Romans 8. When we are saved, we are secured by the Holy Spirit. And then look at the next slide. Another mercy is eternal life. I was counting on that one, wouldn't you guys? Eternal life. This life isn't eternal. This body isn't eternal. And I'm glad because I have all kinds of trouble with this body. So I will be glad to take this one off and put on a robe of righteousness, a robe of immortality, a robe that cannot be corrupted, a robe that cannot be sick. A robe that cannot sin. I'll be glad to exchange this body. Who's with me out there? And from what I see on Facebook, some of y'all are really proud of your body. But here, let me just say this. You're going to shed that body. Did I say that out loud? Came out. You're going to shed that body. Eternal life is a gift. 
And it isn't given to you when you die. You've got it in you now. It's in you now. That eternal life is in you right now because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. In the twinkling of an eye, when you as a believer die, you are with the Lord. In the twinkling of an eye. You say, how quick is that? There are 20 twinkles in a blink. I don't know if there are or not. <clears throat> anyway, it's quick. Freedom. Anybody want some freedom? I thank God for America. I'm glad to live in the home of the free, in the, let's see, land of the free, home of the brave. But we don't know freedom that we're going to know. You have freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. And the penalty of sin is hell. You have freedom from that. And I know they don't preach on hell much. And churches don't even say the word hell much. But it doesn't make it not true. I could have used amen right there. It doesn't make it not true. It is true. We have done a series on it. And you can go back and listen to that. But this salvation, this freedom that God gives is freedom from the power of sin in your life. Freedom from the ultimate penalty of sin. It is mentioned in Romans 6 and 8. And then the resurrection. The resurrection, hallelujah, at the end is a mercy of God. It is mentioned in chapter 6 and 8. Adoption. See, if we were born children of God, adoption wouldn't even be necessary. We're not born the children of God. We're born orphans. We're born without a father. And we have to be adopted into the family. And that adoption happens when we lay ourselves on that altar, a living sacrifice. It is at that moment we're adopted into the family. It is a mercy of God mentioned in chapters 8 and 9. And then ongoing intercession. This is that um, that position of Jesus as a lawyer, the Holy Spirit as an attorney, pleading our case before God the Father and praying for us. Uh, ongoing intercession by both the Holy Spirit and the Son of God, Jesus, mentioned in Romans chapter 8. It's a massive list. I could preach on all of these things. I could do, I could do, I started to say I could do a full sermon on each of these. I could do a series of sermons on each of these topics. So we've gone through them quickly. It is a massive list of the elements, the qualities that provide our salvation, the mercies, the free gifts that are offered to us and then given by God to those who believe. So I want to look at how Paul ends this in Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Look on the screen at this scripture. So Paul says, after he gives this list, after he puts out this list, he says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. And the people of the bridge said, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts and who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen, amen. Can we give Paul a hand? What a great ending. What a great ending. Amen. So in Romans 1 through 11, Paul just launches into a doxology about the mercies of God. And these mercies become the motive for us to daily 
moment by moment, offer ourselves over and over in the course of a day a living sacrifice to God. And offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to God is our highest act of thanksgiving. There is no way you can express thanksgiving higher or more powerfully to God than to give him yourself. It is our highest act of worship to respond to this massive list of mercies by giving ourselves a living sacrifice. And it reminded me of the scripture in Psalm 116 and 12 that says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits unto me? What shall I offer to the Lord? What shall I give to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I mean, the writer here, and we're not sure who wrote this particular chapter of Psalms, but... He's at a loss for words. He didn't know what to say. He, he didn't know what he could give. And then we get to Romans chapter 12, and Paul says, you know what you give? You give your life a living sacrifice on the altar of God. That's what we give. That's how we respond to this incredible list of blessings we've gone through this morning. Will you stand with me?